Well, it is such a joy to be with you this morning, having served uh, on staff at University Baptist Church and Farmville Baptist. Um, I have been the recipient of the warm hospitality of this church when I've attended for state meetings and such. And I've also been aware of your ministry and presence here in this community through my friends Bill Wilson and David Washburn, Barrett Owen, and I am a fan of Kristen Koger, and I'm so grateful that she invited me to be with you in worship this morning. And I would also, also want to thank you for your partnership um, with the Baptist General Association of Virginia and also CBF Virginia. And as past moderator of CBF Virginia, I also want to give a special thanks for your hospitality in hosting the CBF Virginia General Assembly this September. I hope you all know that, right? Okay, no? <laughs> but anyway, thank you. <laughs> I hope that wasn't bad. <laughs> well, today I am launching a summer sermon series called Faces of Our Faith, Bold and Untold Stories. And so over the next several Sundays, you'll hear stories of biblical characters, you know, who are often overlooked. Now this morning, I would like for us to consider the story of Jonah. Now, I know what you're thinking. Everyone who's attended Sunday school knows about Jonah, right? But did you know that this story of Jonah is much more than a well of a tale about a reluctant prophet being swallowed up by a big fish? It's much more of that. So this story begins with God speaking to Jonah and his response. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, if there's any doubt that God can call and use anybody, these two verses should eliminate that doubt. God told Noah, to go east, inland, to Nineveh. Jonah promptly hopped onto a ship going west out into the sea, all the way to the edge of the known ancient world. What would possess Jonah to do such a thing? Well, for one, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, dreaded enemy of Israel. I imagine God's call into the heart of enemies' territory must have seemed like a, a death sentence to Jonah. So he hopped on his ship, headed in the opposite direction. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if my dad told me to come here and I promptly ran there as far as I could, things weren't going to go well for me, you know? And personally, if my son, my son would not have even made it past the driveway before I would have grounded him for a month. <laughs> I'm personally surprised that God did not get mad and punish Jonah right then and there for his blatant disobedience and, dare I say, wickedness. Instead, God gave Jonah a rather long leash and here's where things get interesting. 
that ship that Jonah got on was caught in a terrible storm, and it ended with Jonah being tossed into the ocean and being swallowed by a big fish. Now, for centuries, people have fixated on that fish. Is the story of Jonah just a big fish tale? Was there a literal fish that swallowed up a human being for three days and three nights? I mean, if so, could a man survive the stomach acids? Would there be enough oxygen for him to live on? I don't have answers to these questions. All I can say is that the storm that Jonah faced was not only in the wind and the waves. He also faced the turbulent tossings of his emotions as he tried to run away from God and maybe, maybe even from himself. I don't know if the fish was literal or not, but I'm certain that Jonah was swallowed by his own resentment and hatred and anger, possibly over God's command, but definitely over his hatred and fear of the people of Nineveh. The storm subsided when Jonah could not run away anymore. Now, as a leadership coach, I've sometimes observed this in my clients. When they are faced with some painful truths about themselves, many times they would rather get distracted that, or they would distract themselves by frenetic activities, by getting mad and blaming others for their problems, anything to run away from addressing the source of their problems. And sometimes it takes drastic and painful event, perhaps a health crisis, a job termination, a divorce, to stop them from continuing down their own destructive paths. Often I will ask my client, in order to make a change, what's one thing that you need to stop doing? And then I would follow up with a second question. In order to make a change, what's one thing that you need to start doing? So amidst the stillness of that belly, beast of the belly, Jonah stopped running away from God and himself. And that was when he heard the voice of God for the second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. Jonah started and went to Nineveh. This is the first turning around of the story. Jonah turned around and he went to Nineveh. You know, it takes a lot of courage to turn around because it is often an omission of a mistake. Not many of us like to admit that we are wrong. So let's give Jonah credit for that. Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh, a large city. And as he walked, he preached a sermon that contained only five Hebrew words. Yot, Abayim, Yom, Nineveh, Nepeket. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The message wasn't sweet, but at least it was short. 
and unbeknownst to Jonah, he preached the greatest revival sermon of all time. Here is the second turning around of the city. The city of Nineveh turned around. Jonah's five-word sermon prompted a city-wide revival, a city of at least 120,000 inhabitants. So my math isn't great, but it means that for every word Jonah preached, 24,000 people repented and turned around to God. In comparison, at least according to the 2020 census, the city of Waynesboro had only 23,000 people. So, for those who have problems with a literal fish, they should have even bigger questions about a city of 120,000 people repenting and turning to God through a five-word sermon. That, to me, is the bigger miracle. Do we have imagination for seeing a whole city or a whole community turn around? During the last past six years or so, I've been part of the Charlottesville Clergy Collective, a group of 30 to 40 multiracial interfaith leaders working for racial justice in Charlottesville and Albemarle County. And let me tell you, it is slow, hard work. And I wish that there were something that we could just say that would turn our city around. But the truth is, our own collective sometimes struggle in going the same direction. In the days leading up to the Unite the Right rally on August 11 and 12 in 2017, we could not even decide on the one right way for all of us to respond and stand up for our black and Jewish neighbors. Even more complicated are larger ongoing questions about racial equity and systemic barriers. And just as it's hard for us preachers and rabbis to have these conversations among ourselves, it is also hard for congregations to have them. And that's why to me, it's an unbelievable miracle to read that after Jonah's five-word sermon, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. I mean, even the king of Nineveh stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. Such an act of humility and repentance from a person of such power and privilege. That is also a miracle. But wait, there's more. As amazing as this turnaround was, there's one more turnaround that's even more amazing and for some, even more controversial. It is written in Jonah, Chapter 3, verse 10. God saw what they did. He saw that they had given up their wicked behavior. So he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction 
he had threatened. This is the final turning around in this story. God turns around. And in the Hebrew text, God literally repents. In this story, we see that not only did Jonah turn around and repent of running away from Nineveh, not only do we see Nineveh turn around and repent of their wickedness, we also see God turning around and repenting from God's threat to punish Nineveh. And they live happily ever after. End of story, right? Right? No, <laughs> not quite. You know better. After preaching the most successful revival sermon of all time, you would think that Jonah would be ecstatic. No, Jonah was furious. His most hated enemies were not being destroyed. Rather, they were showered with grace. Jonah obeyed God by predicting destruction. And now, he was going to look like a fool because God changed God's mind. In chapter 4, Jonah complained to God. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? I mean, that's why I ran away from Tarshish. I knew that you were a, were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now we learn the real reason why Jonah initially disobeyed God. It wasn't because he was afraid to die in enemy territory. No, it was because he was afraid that God would forgive the Ninevites. Jonah would rather die than for God to show grace to Jonah's enemies. Well, God did not let Jonah die. Instead, God caused a vine to grow overnight that sheltered and cooled Jonah off, which, you know, made him very happy. But then the next day, the vine got eaten by a worm and the sun and the scorching wind made Jonah faint-headed. And once again, Jonah got mad and he wanted to die. <laughs> Even though Jonah turned around physically, he could not yet turn around his attitude toward the Ninevites. They were still his enemy. He believed that they still deserved God's wrath and punishment. Who is our enemy? Liberals? Conservatives? Black Lives Matter? White supremacists, the NRA, gun control advocates, Fox News, MSNBC. In the story of Jonah, 
God loves each and every human being, regardless of political bent or religion or ethnicity. And in this story, we see a bold God of love and mercy, who would rather forgive and save our enemies than to punish and destroy them. I desperately want to agree with Jonah. Don't show grace to my enemies because they are unrepentant. And then God whispers to me, "In many areas of your life, you are unrepentant." Yes, the Bible says judgment will come, but sometimes I wonder if I'm too eager. For God to enact judgment now on my enemies, while taking for granted God's grace upon my shortcomings in my life, sometimes I wonder if I rage against the sins of others to distract myself from facing the sins in my own life. And at the very end of the book, God tells Jonah. You are concerned about a vine that you did not plant or take care of, a vine that grew up in one night and died the next. In that city of Nineveh, there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell right from wrong, not to mention all the animals. And sometimes I wonder if I care more about a vine that represents my own comfort and ease, than the welfare of thousands of people and other living creatures that God dearly loves. God then asks Jonah, "Shouldn't I be concerned?" For such a great city, and with that, the book of Jonah ends. But in that question, I think there are still bold stories of faith waiting to be written and told. There are stories of more turning arounds, yours and mine, in your community. And in mind. So, how will you, and how will I, live out, and have a hand in those stories? Amen.